One of my all-time favorite movies is the movie Dead Poets Society. And though it's a number of years old, it's still very popular on Netflix. If you've seen that movie or recall it, you remember that the late Robin Williams was a teacher in an exclusive Eastern prep school in that movie. And early in the movie, there's a scene on the first day of school where he takes the boys out into the hallway to look at the pictures of the past and now dead graduates of that school. And there's this scene then where he has them staring at these pictures and he leans forward to try to motivate them with these words. He says, we are food for worms, lads. Believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room will one day stop breathing, turn cold, and die. Step forward and see the faces from the past. They were just like you are now. They believed they were destined for great things. Their eyes were full of hope. But you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. If you look real close and listen, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Lean in. Do you hear it? And then Williams in an almost eerie, grave-like voice says, Carpe Diem. Seize the day, boys. Make your lives extraordinary. That scene, Williams is speaking not just of issues of opportunity or priorities or time management or fulfillment of life. He speaks to the importance of legacy. And he speaks to the importance of what are we doing now to make a difference in our lives and in the lives of other people. What legacy are we building that we will leave for future generations? One day we will all die and we will leave behind something for the next generation. And what will that be? We come to our last lesson in this series, Home Improvement. I want us to talk about leaving a legacy. When you think about older generations, what do you think about? What values and morals and ethics do you think about of the previous generation as they hand down to today's younger generation? The wise man in the book of Proverbs in chapter 13 and verse 22 challenges us with these words. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We're looking tonight at more than just a physical or a financial inheritance. We want to look deeper than that and think about what kind of inheritance spiritually are we leaving behind. And so tonight I want us to think about two things on this topic. One, I want us to think about what is the basis of leaving a legacy and secondly then I want us to talk about how that we can do that to leave a lasting legacy 
Let me join with Kyle in welcoming each one tonight. We have a good number back on Sunday evening. We have guests with us again this evening, and we're appreciative of your presence. And we hope as we come to a conclusion of this study tonight that it will bless us in a way that will challenge us, encourage us, and motivate us to want to build homes and families that can not only make a difference now, but can make a difference in generations to come. So let's begin and think for a few minutes about the basis of a lasting legacy. One, I suggest that the right kind of basis is built upon biblical values. And obviously there are many values that we could talk about this night. But as I tried to get inside myself and to think about my upbringing, because I was blessed to grow up in a home where my mother and father were both Christians and sought to bring my brother and I up in the way of the Lord. And so I thought about some values that have made a difference in my life that I believe are biblical values. And one of the values is values that glorify God. Biblical values give God glory. And the question is, are we imparting those kind of values to our children, to our grandchildren? Values that honor Him, values that exalt Him, values that are saying to our families and to those around us who we really are. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 12, Peter penned, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they may accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. And so as other people look at us, and not just people that are in the world, that are not Christians, but other family members, and people observe what is going on, do they see in our lives values that are giving honor and glory and praise to God? And then another value I think about are values that bless the lives of other people. To love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus said, was the second great commandment. And it is a value on which we can live and leave a great legacy. In Galatians 6 and in verse 10, Paul wrote, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially as to those that belong to the family of believers. You know, when we are living these kinds of values that we're talking about, our children can see them. They can see whether or not God is number one in our lives, whether we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and whether we care about other people. I'm sure if I think long enough, I can think about times where my mom and dad talked to me specifically about some of those things. But you know, from my perspective now as a 69-year-old man looking back at those years, what I remember is not so much any lectures they gave me about those things, but the example they set and the importance they put upon honoring God and the importance they put upon treating other people right and loving their neighbor and taking care of people, whether they were Christians or not. One of my dad's friends was a farmer down the road from us named Fred Douglas. I may have mentioned Fred before. He was a good old fella. Wasn't a Christian. Didn't go to church anywhere. His wife went to a denominational church, but old Fred never went. He was a good neighbor. 
But you know, my father just treated him with as much as respect as you would treat anybody. Was a good neighbor to him. Loaned things to him. Fred would loan things to my dad. I, I can remember any number of times that's going down there and dad and Fred shaking hands on a deal of something. Dad would come away and say, well, that's good enough with Fred. Because he could trust Fred and Fred could trust him. That's a value, isn't it? Is we treat other people right. And people know us as people of honor and integrity. A third value that comes to my mind that is a biblical value is values that admit personal responsibility. That we are accountable, that we are responsible that we admit it when we're wrong, when we make mistakes. And this is a theme throughout the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, that God created us as accountable beings. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 that one day we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and that each one will receive the things done in the body according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. That speaks to personal responsibility, of personal accountability that we have. You know, there are some families that leave a legacy of trying to avoid accountability, of avoiding responsibility, of trying to blame someone else or, or look for a scapegoat. The Christians seek to build a legacy upon values that live and teach personal responsibility. And then I would suggest a fourth value as values provide purpose. Are our values purpose-driven? The wise man in Proverbs 19 and verse 21 said, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You see, values give meaning to our existence. They provide a reason for living. They, they direct us. You think about things that we maybe kind of take for granted. Young people, you get up tomorrow and go to school. Why go to school? Now, some of you may be asking that. Or you get up tomorrow and you go to work. Why, why go to work? Or we talk about building relationships. We talk about home improvement. Why work at building better relationships? Why care about our neighbor? Why work at being a responsible person? Why work to better ourselves, to be better people? Because the Lord has a purpose for us. And God desires that each of us become the very best that we can be. That we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That we seek to walk in His steps. That we seek to become like Him. And we seek to fulfill His purpose in our lives. And then I would suggest, fifthly, that values offer stability. I, I think maybe in this generation, more than ever, we live in a time where there just seems like things are constantly changing, don't they? In my lifetime, I can reflect upon the fact that there were certain basic moral and ethical values that everyone just kind of took for granted. There were things like, like marriage and morality. And honor. And does it not seem like those things are beginning and have for some time been fleeing from us? That they are changing? That they become transitory? And that the values of the world today 
are so different than the values that I was taught from the Bible as a, as a child. We live in uncertain times. And we need that which will provide stability in our families. Paul talked about it this way from a doctrinal standpoint. He said, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. No, we don't need to be carried away by those kind of things. But we need to build our lives upon the kind of values that are stable, that are secure, that are like the wise man that built his house upon the rock. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Biblical values offer stability in life. Well, a second area, as we think about the basis for leaving a legacy, would be the right kind of priorities. One priority that maybe we have lost a little bit in this day is the work comes before recreation. I can remember as a kid, like most kids, wanting to go out and play. And have you done your chores? And there was always chores to be done. There was some list of things that I was to have gotten done. And my parents expected me to do that. And if I had done those, I could go out and play. Yeah, but I, 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 need, I need to practice my free throws. I know I needed to do that. I need to do this. No, it would make a difference. You, you need to get your work done. And then there would be another question. That would be, have you got your Bible lesson done? Well, no. I learned work, responsibility to take care of business comes before playtime. In fact, you know, there is really a biblical basis for this when you read the book of Ecclesiastes. The whole concept of Ecclesiastes is about labor under the sun and the reward, really, that labor brings us. And in one of the passages in chapter 2 and verse 10, the wise man said, Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold from my heart any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all of my labor. And then he said, And this was my reward from all of my labor. And so the pleasures that we enjoy, the fun things that we enjoy in life, ought to come about as a result of our labor. It's the reward of our labor. That's the right kind of priority and one that we need to teach in our families. Another priority would be that people are more important than things. We put a lot of value on our things today in our Bible class this morning, we were talking somewhat about that and about the issue of monetary things and as we spend our money for different things, those become important to us. But we always need to understand that people are more important than material things and more important is the soul. In Matthew chapter 16, and verse 26, Jesus said, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul. Rhetorical questions that have, to me, a very apparent and obvious answer if we look at them seriously and soberly. People and the souls of men and women and boys and girls are more important than the material things of this world. And then I was taught that the spiritual is more significant than the material. Some time ago I read a survey 
that a sociologist was doing to try to find out the secrets of strong families. And he and his colleagues interviewed 300 families that had good, strong families and tried to find out the secret for their success. In the survey, one of the things that came out was the emphasis, and the surveyors came up with six important points. And one of those points was the fact that in strong families, there was a great emphasis put upon spiritual things in those families. And one teenager responded to the survey and said, it was just understood that religion was a top priority in my parents' life. It formed the basis for our family. When I read that quote from that teenager, I thought, I, I can relate to that. And some of you here this evening can relate to that as well. I, I never questioned where we were going on Sunday morning or Sunday night. I never questioned where we were going on Wednesday night. I, I, I knew. I knew the, the importance of that, and I knew the priority of that. And I, I knew better to even ask to do something that would cause me to miss an assembly. And, you know, I, I, I think that's something that we have gotten away from in recent years, that sometimes the assemblies take a back seat to other things that maybe we deem that are important. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added to you. And so in our families, are we developing a priority that is seeking first the kingdom of God? And not just in attendance, that's one barometer, but in Bible study, and in prayer, and a focus upon the things of God. Do our children see in our lives our actions and emphasis upon those kinds of things? It's a fair question for moms and dads to ask themselves. And then the third area would be in the building of strong relationships. This is the basis on which we're going to build the right kind of legacy. And certainly they begin in the physical family. And it takes, it takes a lot of work to make a family strong, to, to grow a family, to improve a family, and to leave a legacy. In the very beginning of this series, you recall, I issued the, the idea with, with the title of this series, Home Improvement, that, that any house has to have maintenance. And, and we understand that. That you don't live in a house for a long time without some work needing to be done, whatever it is. That's just a part of it. How is it that we think that we can go weeks and months and years without any maintenance in our relationships? We need maintenance. We need to work on that if our families are going to be stronger. We need to avail ourselves of opportunities to grow in those areas. You know, this morning we talked about the issue in the family of anger. And one sister told me later that she liked the lesson. She said there was only one thing wrong with it. And I thought, oh no. And I said, what's that? And she said, we don't hear it often enough. <laughs> I thought, well, maybe, maybe that's right. Because what we talked about this morning touches a nerve with all of us, doesn't it? When we think about our emotions, we think about our interaction with one another, we think about controlling our temper, we need to work on that. That is, should be a constant thing that we work to develop. 
And so we need strong relationships in our physical families. We need to work to grow. But along with that is a strong relationship in the spiritual family, in the church family. I, I think back to my formative years. And our physical family was just closely aligned with this church family. I, I, it, you know, there, in fact, there were people that were in the church family where I grew up that really we were closer to than some of our own blood relatives. What are we doing in our families to build that camaraderie and that feeling for brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, I think of the wonderful legacy that is left among God's people for those that have served in different ways and the difference that they have made in their families. I, I, I can think of men that Preach the gospel that came from maybe a family of preachers and that legacy was passed down. Or men that I know that is, are serving as elders in the church and then maybe they come from families where their father and their grandfather was elders. I, I was in a congregation some time ago where I was privileged where both the father and the son were serving together as an elder in that congregation. What a wonderful, what a wonderful legacy that is to think about that being passed down. I think of those that are unknown heroes and heroines of the faith in little communities that have gone on to the reward and no one knows their name, and yet they have made such a difference. They have touched on the church family there, but so many other families, and their family carries on the spiritual traditions within that community. And so as we think about leaving a legacy, we leave a legacy when we build it upon biblical values, when we build it on the right kind of priorities, and we build it on the strong relationships that we can develop. Now, let's take the last half of our lesson and talk about how is it that we do that. Well, when we do that through a good name, in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 1, the wise man said a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches and loving favor than silver and gold. Most of you probably know the name Alfred Nobel from whom the Nobel Peace Prize is named. And so there is a name, the Nobel Peace Prize, and we have positive feelings maybe about that. Some of you may not know this story that Alfred Nobel, who lived in the 1800s, was a Swedish chemist, and he invented dynamite. In fact, Nobel, during his lifetime, made millions of dollars from the manufacture of explosives, and he became known as the Dynamite King. The story is told that one morning in the fall of 1888, Nobel's brother died. And the newspaper the next day opened with an article that made a mistake. Instead of naming Nobel's brother, it named him. And to his surprise, Alfred Nobel opened the newspaper and said he had died. But here was even the greater shock. That as he read the article here, much to his chagrin, he was portrayed as the dynamite king and how that he would be remembered as a merchant of death who made a fortune by making war more destructive. 
His legacy, is said, to the world would be the efficient methods of killing people. Was said that that shook Nobel up, that, that he was dismayed at the prospect of being remembered after his, after his death as someone like that. And so he decided to do something about it and under the conditions of his will, now this is the 1800s, mind you, left $9 million to fund five prizes to be distributed every year to give to those that have been judged to do the most to help mankind. And so here was a man that invented dynamite, that his name was linked to that, but probably almost no one today even knows that. He changed his legacy. And I guess my point is that no matter where you are in your life right now, what your reputation is, that it is possible for you to change your legacy. But how will you be remembered? What will you be known as? Let me suggest that if we want to develop a good name, a good name comes from holding godly convictions. The psalmist said in Psalm 112, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth, and the generation of the upright will be blessed. So what will you leave your family? The good name that comes by being a person of a conviction, of strong belief, of integrity, of someone that stands for something. A good name comes from maintaining godly character. In Proverbs 20 and verse 7, the wise man said, A righteous man walks in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. You know, one of the challenges we face as Christians is to really live what it is we claim that we believe in our home lives. One writer said that if Christianity won't work in the home, what right do we have to expect it to work anywhere else? And that's true. Is Christianity working in your home? Can your children look at you in your home and see a godly character? Or are we known one way when we come into a worship assembly and people see us in public or known in a, another way in private? That's a fair question for us to ask and answer. And then a good name comes from demonstrating godly compassion. One of the great examples in all the Bible compassion comes from Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 10 of the Good Samaritan. But have you ever thought about what made the Good Samaritan good? We call him the Good Samaritan. But I think the thing that makes him good was the fact that when he saw this individual that was in need, that had been beaten, that had been robbed, that had been left for dead, and he came where he was as, as he saw him and he had compassion. If we want to be the kind of people that God would have us to be and be good people, we need to be compassionate people. A good name comes from demonstrating godly compassion. And then we leave a legacy through pleasant memories. Proverbs 10 and verse 7 reads, The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. And so how do you leave a lasting legacy? Well, you create good memories. I realize that preaching on the home and maybe even a lesson like this 
very well for some of you, maybe a painful thing, that not everybody grew up in a Christian home. And if you did grow up in a Christian home, it may well be that when you begin to think about some of your memories of childhood, they're not great, pleasant. They, they are not things that you are proud of that you would want to share and talk about with other people. And, and, and I certainly don't bring this kind of thing up to, to foster any kind of guilt or harbor any ill will. But maybe it should remind us if we, if we look back at things from our childhood and maybe our parents made certain mistakes, maybe that ought to motivate us to do a better job. That we are going to leave the kind of memories that our children can look back with fondness and appreciation. You know, when the children of Israel came out uh, and crossed the Jordan River and came into the Promised Land, Joshua 4 records the fact that they were to take stones, you remember, and they were to make a monument of stones, and they had one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joshua told them that what you're to do is you make this monument of stones that in generations to come when your children say, what do these stones mean? That you can remind them of their legacy, where you came from, and, and whose people you are. And how you came through the wilderness and how God protected you and how this land in which you're living in now was given to you by God. We don't probably have a pile of stones in our backyard that we can point to our kids. That we create memories visibly in other ways. We do it today with, with pictures and with video and Memories stored on our computers and iPhones and DVDs and whatever. And these things can mean something to us down the road. You know, I have some old Bibles. And I've been moving them around for years now. I guess I'll move them again. Because they're Bibles that belong to my mom and my dad my late brother and it means something to me and if you've been in my office you know I keep one of those Bibles that belonged to my mom the last Bible she had before she passed I keep it on my desk it's just a good visual reminder to me of who I am and where I came from and values that my mother tried to instill in me and you know I have a lot of present memories of those times of seeing her and my dad read the Bible. Create pleasant memories that will help leave a legacy. And then financial stewardship. I'm not going to say a lot about this tonight because we've been studying on that in our class. We're going to study on it in the next couple of weeks in class. But the Bible has a lot to say about being a faithful steward and God wants us to be faithful stewards. And one of the passages we studied this morning is those that are rich to learn to do good and to use their riches and be willing to give and, and, and willing to share. That, that is a legacy that we can, we can pass on in our families of a faithful financial stewardship, a, a view of money that is good and godly. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And so that our children can see us use money as a means to an end and not an end within itself. 
you know, kids, and I, I learned this, and this has been a long time ago when our children were younger. I, I, can, I can still remember when our son was a teenager and being surprised he knew what things cost. And that's been quite a few years ago. And I'm sure kids today are even more savvy about what things cost. And so when they watch mom and dad spend their money on things, homes, cars, vacations, trinkets, iPhones, whatever you're talking about, and then the plates passed around at church, what do they see? Do they see anything go on the plate ever? And I want to tell you why, in case you haven't figured about your kids, your kids are nosy. They know a little bit more about your business you'd like for them to know sometimes. But you know what? Regardless if your kids are nosy and knows what you're doing with your money, you know who knows? Yeah, the Lord. The Lord knows what we're doing with our money. Are we faithful stewards of our money and leaving the right kind of legacy? And then how about godly instruction? The psalmist, in Psalm 78, said, Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and His strength and the wonderful works that He has done. That's one thing that when you read the history of the Jewish people, and I mentioned the stones a minute ago, that the Jewish people passed down this legacy from father to son to father to son to father to son. Son, you're a Jew. You're a child of Abraham. Abraham was called by God. And they passed this down to tell the generation to come of what the Lord had done. Are we passing that on through godly instruction? Several years ago, when we lived in Tampa, and I was doing some studies similar to this on the family. I got to thinking about this this afternoon when I was looking over my notes again. That I remember doing some, a lesson about, about parenting. And I called my mom. And I said, uh, Mom, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about parenting and you know some things that parents need to do today. And so what, what can you remember from your childhood growing up? My mom was born in 1925. And she grew up in rural Kentucky. My papa Key never drove, never owned a car. They'd go to church. Uh, the younger children rode in the wagon, and there was horse-drawn, and the older kids would walk a mile or two to the little congregation. I was privileged to go back there, by the way, a few years ago and hold a gospel meeting where my mother and my grandmother were baptized in that little country church. But my grandfather came back after the First World War and became, he came back a very bitter man. And during the early part of my mother's childhood, my grandfather was not a faithful Christian. He had quit going to church and had quit serving the Lord. And my Granny Key was a very devout woman and very faithful to get the children to church. And I asked Mom about that, and she said that one of her fondest memories was in the evening, and of course they didn't have electricity, you know, and they would have the, the oil lamps and have the fireplace maybe going, 
And she said, Mother would get us children all around the fireplace and she would get out the family Bible. And read the Bible to us. And then she said, I can remember at times Daddy standing in the back behind all of us just listening to Mama read the Bible. And she said, you know, I think that had an effect on him. He later came back to the Lord, and as I, the time I came along in my earliest memories, he went to church and was a faithful Christian. But I've thought about that story that my mom told me that day on the phone. What a difference my, my Granny Key made. What if she hadn't got the Bible out and read to the kids? What if she had allowed her unfaithful husband lead her astray? Would my mother become a Christian? And all of her brothers and sisters became Christians? And would my mother have married my father who wasn't a Christian at the time but later became a Christian? Would I be a Christian today? You see, the legacy of godly instruction has such a ripple effect far beyond what we can even imagine. And an untold woman with an elementary school education in the hills of Kentucky that would read the Bible to her children may very well still be making a difference today in the lives of people. That's what I'm talking about, parents. The legacy of a godly instruction. And then finally, of sacrificial love. What legacy did our Lord leave when He left heaven and He came to earth? Paul said, though He was rich, yet He became poor, that you through His poverty might be rich. Sacrificial love. And so we are commanded to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. It is a love that gave above and beyond. A love that was others-focused, not self-focused. A love that never asked anything in return. A love that went the second mile and then the third and the fourth mile. And it is a love to which the Lord calls you and I today to have that kind of sacrificial love in our families, for our husbands, for our wives, for our children, for one another, for God's people, for others. And so you're leaving a legacy now that is a fact. You are leaving some kind of a legacy. And so what is that legacy? This may be the end of this series, but I would hope it only be the beginning of some things that might help you, challenge you, encourage you to look in your own heart, to look at your own family, and to think about how we can be better and to be more as God would have us to be. I hope the lessons that we brought have been a help and a blessing, and you can use them in days to come.
we close this evening, we close with a song of encouragement and invitation. It may well be there's one here not a Christian that has even come with the idea that you would obey the gospel. Would you come to Christ through faith and repentance and baptism and look for Him? And I would ask tonight that we each look within our own hearts and ask ourselves if we are already Christians, are we in our family and home life really living the kind of life that we've been talking about that can leave the kind of legacy that we discussed tonight to pass on to our children and our children's children. It may be there's some things tonight as you think about today's lessons in this series that you don't feel real comfortable about in your own family, that you feel like you need to change. And it may not be something that needs to be public, that you need to come forward and and ask for a public prayer. But I would just ask you that there are some things that you need to work on. I would ask you to take care of that. And the greatest response to the invitation to tonight's lesson or any of these might simply be a response that you sit down with your family and say, you know what? There's some things that got to change around here if we're going to be a home that God wants. And then to seriously work to become that kind of a dad, that kind of a father, that kind of a mother, that kind of a wife, that kind of a son or daughter, and to give glory to God as we work into their home. But if we can serve you tonight, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.